Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 119. We'll be looking at verses 17 to 32. Two stanzas, Gimel and Daleth. Hear now the word of the Lord. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. And give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Father, we ask now that you would indeed uh, enlarge our hearts and minds that we may receive uh, this truth as found in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Psalm 119, we've looked at for a couple weeks, and we've learned uh, much concerning the nature of the Word of God. It's divinely inspired. It's God-breathed. It's powerful. It's, it's sufficient in all things pertaining to faith and practice of the faith. Uh, the psalmist says, look, you need to delight in His Word. You need to meditate upon the Word. You need to memorize the Word. You need to understand the Word. All these things are true of the Word of God. He teaches us that in the midst of all the various and varying trials that we face in this world, uh, we can find solace in the Word of God. That's where he found it. And and this morning, in the circumstance he addresses in our verses, is in the various place that he is in his life now, at least as we look at it here, is one of trials. It's, It's one of troubles. See, what he's going to do is answer the question, is the Word of God helpful even in the midst of suffering and persecution? Uh, And this is actually a major theme of the psalm. That's why it's important to not just say this is like a a doctrine of the study of the the Bible and what it teaches. That is true. It's what it is. But it does it in the context of, of suffering and persecution and how that plays out in our lives. And that's what we find here. It's a major theme. People were speaking against him, we're told in verse 22, 23, 51, 69, just to name a few. He constantly says he's being afflicted, 50, 67, 71, 75. He mentions that evil men are persecuting him in verse 84 to 87, 109, 110, 161, all these verses. But in all his trials, in the midst of the persecution, 
persecution and people speaking against them, he found his comfort and he found his stability in the Word of God. Verse 50, 52, 61, so on and so forth. I'm not going to go through the, the many verses. And so there's your answer. The answer is yes, if you were wondering, when the Word of God is stored up in our hearts, when the Word of God is meditated upon daily, when we apply it appropriately, it it, it gets us through the toughest of times. And that's what the psalmist teaches us. That's what we learned this morning. He's going to share with us four trials uh, that he's uh, going through. Um, and we're going to take a look at all four of those trials. However, before we do, I want you to notice something. See, what is unique about these specific trials that the psalmist will face that I'll talk about is that they have come to the psalmist because he's determined to walk with the Lord. He's determined to adhere to God's Word. We all face tons of trials, sicknesses. People with surgeries, we've just heard of the death of a a brother and and the trial that'll be on the family. We've heard of all those things. Um, But this, what he's going to go over here is, is, is trials and tribulations, persecutions for righteousness sake, as, as Jesus would put it. One writer said, we have a tendency to think that if we live the way God wants us to live, you know, you, you read your Bible daily and you pray that everything's going to go well. Everything's going to be easy. Life's going to be easy. You won't face difficulties. And if you do, at least according to the, you know, the televangelists, the prosperity gospel teachers, that God wants you to be trouble-free. And you hear it. They bring it up all the time. They, you're supposed to, you know, live your best life now and you're supposed to be rich and happy all the time. It's like they didn't read the gospels in the life of Jesus and, and if you follow their formula, which usually requires sending money and buying their books, everything will go well in your life. It, it, it's just constant. And what happens if things begin to go poorly in your life? Well, it's on you. You're the problem. You don't have enough faith. You're to blame. You're not working the system correctly. You didn't send enough money, all those things. See, that's, that's a false gospel. That's not a, a biblical gospel. It's actually evil. It's damning. And it's exactly the opposite of what we find in our psalm. Here we have a man who is following God. He's delighting in God's Word. He loves the Word of God. He's obeying His commands. A, a man whose soul, says verse 20, is consumed It's consumed with longing for God's rules all the time. I mean, can any of us say that? I mean, this man loved the Lord. And because of that, not in spite of it, because of this, he is brought to the pit of despair, as it were. He's flung into this multitude of trials all because he loves God, loves his word, and wants to follow him. And so the Bible is clear. Godly people are not exempt from trials. Indeed, it's a promise that you can count on. Paul says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12. We need to not allow the American evangelicalism to confuse us here because we've had a state of being unpersecuted. We're not being persecuted. It's coming, and we'll see that even as we proceed in the sermon. And so, 
He's being persecuted. These trials are because of his love and passion for the Word of God. Here's the first trial. It's found in verse 19. I am a sojourner on earth. Hide not your commandments from me. I am a sojourner. His first trial is separation. That's the first trial. It's alienation. Um, It is being a stranger in this world. He's never fully accepted here. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We're out of place. That's the idea. Actually, there are two ideas behind this expression. The first is the suggestion that we're only kind of passing through this world. This world is not our own. We're only passing through. Um, and, and so we need to focus on that which is everlasting. And so you could kind of interpret the phrase as, I'm a sojourner on the earth. Uh, therefore, don't hide your commands from me. Since I'm passing through and it's really about the next world, let me focus on what's everlasting. Let me focus on your word. That's one of the ideas. Uh, The other idea of this expression is being a stranger is that we're out of place in this world. Dr. Boyce says believers are alienated from the world but belong to God whom the world does not honor or know. And, the, and that's what the context suggests here. We, you know, they, the psalmist says in verse 21, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. And so here you have this man who's writing this psalm who's devoted himself to the commandments. And on the other side, you have these people who have wandered from God's commandments. And so because the world does not follow God's commands and because the world rejects God's commands and rejects God himself, we're out of place in this world because we follow God and believe in God. And so we begin to long or we should begin to long for something beyond this world. Here's the bottom line. If you're trying to follow God, you're trying to be faithful, the world is going to treat you as an alien. And that's what you'll be. This stuff's foreign to them. You can expect to be at. You can never be, expect to be at home in this world. I mean, I, 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 you know, watch entertainment like the rest of you. You follow different th- trends, things that are going on, and it just amazes me how out of not touch. I, I, I that that'll do for now. Separate we are with the things we believe. How foreign it is to these people. I mean, to hear, to to believe that we would believe in Jesus. And so let me say it this way. Maybe you don't feel that. You say, I don't don't feel out of place in this world. I'm getting along just fine. Um, At worst, that's an indication you don't belong to Christ. I mean, it just means you're not a believer. You're following the world system. At best, maybe you're just living far from him. You don't don't cause any controversy, not that you're supposed to look for controversy, but nobody would know you were a Christian, so you don't have any problems. Um, Jesus put it this way. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If we're known to be identified with Jesus, to take a stand with Jesus, we're going to be persecuted. And see, that leads us to the second trial of faith. We're strangers in this world. The second one's found in verse 22 and 23. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies, even though princes sit 
plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Here what the trial is is slander. We not only don't fit in, we're persecuted for following God. It's not we're just outcast and ignored. We're outcast and we're persecuted. We're, we're, we're aliens in this world, and, and that's an accurate description of who we are. But slander, what slander does, that's what's happening here. It's a trial of slander. It, it paints a false picture of who we are. It, it has to do with accusations that are not true. It assigns false motives to the good we may be trying to do and even charges us with evil that we do not do. I mean, you see this every day in this politically correct so-called tolerant world that we live in. Take a stand on biblical truth concerning any number of things and you will receive the scorn and contempt of the world. Get ahead into the public forum and go up to people and say, I just want to say that unless you believe in Jesus, you're all going to hell. That Jesus is God and he is the only way. Every other religion is wrong. Every other philosophy is wrong. Christ is the only way. And I would gather you're not going to be embraced with open arms. Sometimes I wonder if you can be embraced with open arms saying that in a church, let alone in the world. John MacArthur goes on CNN and they try to pressure him on same-sex uh, marriage. And he says, no, that, that, that is wrong. And, and he says, no, homosexuality is sin. And I mean, they accuse him of being a hater, and it's hate speech. And, and, and the tolerance police just don't tolerate it. You know, they, they get angry. Now, I can present what I believe and be, you know, a jerk about it. That's not being biblical either. I have to speak the truth in love. But right now, speaking the truth biblically is never going to be seen as love by the world. And this is going to become more common. It just is. Unless the Lord brings a revival, which we've been praying for. Uh, You know, we live in America, and our experience for Christianity is completely different than 2,000 years of history and most of the world not being persecuted for what we believe. We should be grateful for that. We're not looking to be persecuted. But if we take a stand today, we'll be persecuted in some way. And so how do we respond? Well, when you're falsely accused, how are you, what are you to do? Well, you can pray for your enemies. Jesus obviously commands that. That's a way to respond, and you should. You can ask God to take away your scorn and contempt, as verse 22 states. You can try to give a calm, reasoned, loving rebuttal, which you should. But ultimately, the response of the psalmist, although he prays, his response to contempt and to, to, to the scorn is just to keep studying the Word of God. Keep getting to know God better. Look at verse 23. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Even though I'm being slandered, that's the second trial. I'm going to study your word. Well, here's the third trial. Look at verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Now, this is an image of humiliation. Uh, uh, The Hebrew actually speaks of cleaving to the dust. 
um, uh, of being so low that he feels like he's bonded to humiliation. And so there's this, if you want to follow the S theme here, we had strangers in this world were slander. This is uh, shame, you could say, suppression. There's just so many S words. But, you know, go, go, we'll go with shame. The, the psalmist here felt shame. He was humiliated. And is it any wonder, we're told in verse 23, they were slandering his name. Um, uh, they were ensnaring him, says verse 61. They were lying about him, says verse 69. They were causing him to suffer, verse 83. They despised him, verse 141. They even threatened his life, uh, verse 109. He felt one with the dust. It's not surprising after that list. He was being shamed. He was being humiliated. Uh, but it wasn't only a humiliation and shame that was, uh, it was also sorrow that was causing despair. That's the fourth trial. Look at verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Now, we can feel sorrow for so many things in this world. Uh, we lose a loved one. We feel sorrow. We should. We can feel sorrow over our sins. But here the psalmist seems to be expressing this sorrow he has uh, um, in his abased condition because he has been rejected, slandered, and shamed by other people. He, he feels sorrow because he's, he's, he's not, he doesn't belong in this world. It's because the world won't let him be. You know, look, I don't agree with you, world. I, I, I believe in Jesus, but you won't even let me just do it on my own. You won't let me be. You, you seek to do me harm. And so I'm weighed down by grief. I'm one with the dust. My soul melts away for sorrow. Maybe you can identify with this trial of faith. Maybe your heart's been heavy with grief and sorrow. It just weighs down on you. And maybe you're feeling such sorrow now, and it's suffocating. Whenever we go through a major trial, even if it's not for our faith, but we go through, it feels suffocating. It wraps itself around you on every side. It makes you feel trapped. It makes you feel alone and isolated. So what are you to do? Let me say, the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself and begin looking inward to try to carry the burden yourself. That, that is never going to work. You're, you're, you're consumed and you're trying to solve it on your own. No, the psalmist says, I have this sorrow. I feel the weight of it. And instead of looking inward, I look outward and upward. I look to the promises of God. I turn to his word. It strengthened me according to your word, he says in verse 28. See, if you're weighed down by grief... Look away from your sorrow and look to the Scriptures. And what you find in the midst of doing that is a God who loves you, a God who cares for you, a God who identifies with you in your weakness, a God who sent His Son to bear your weakness, a God-man, our Lord Jesus, who says, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you get the picture there? You have this yoke of, of, of heaviness upon you, the, the shame, whatever it is you're feeling, the sorrow. And he's saying, look, give that to me. I'll take that for you. And here, take my yoke. It's light. It's easy. Look to the word of God. And then what you do is you find in it a savior who will be your comforter, our Lord Jesus Christ. Claim the promises as your own. By faith, of course. And if you do, if you do, if, if it's, it's work, but when you do, he promises to turn your sorrow to joy. Notice what he doesn't say. I'll take away all your struggles and give you joy. He'll just take the sorrow you're feeling for everything you're going through and turn it to joy. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow, Jeremiah 31. This is what Jesus promises you. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. You have promised eternal joy in the midst of your trials. Let me summarize these trials. The psalmist here is saying, uh, being a stranger in this world, I'm suffering from receiving the scorn of unbelievers, from the slander of rulers, as well as the shame and sorrow that persecution produces. Uh, The bottom line is, they just wanted him dead. But the psalmist wants to live. And, and, and that's what you see at the two stanzas. We have Gimel, the first stanza, and Dalit. Uh, in the first stanza, how's it begin? That I may live and keep your word. And then the Dalit, beginning in verse 25, give me life according to your word. He wants to live. They're trying to kill him. And understand, it's not mere physical life he's talking about that he's wanting. He wants the fullness of spiritual life. He wants his worldly sorrow to be turned into spiritual joy. And and he knows only one way to do it is to live according to the Word of God, that I may live and keep your Word, verse 17. Give me life according to your Word, verse 25. He says that he is consumed with longing for the Word, verse 20. That the Word is his delight, verse 24. That he has chosen the way of faithfulness, which is what? According to the Word, verse 30. And that he wants to cling to God's Word, verse 31. All the trials, all the scorn, all the contempt, all the slander, all the alienation, all the shame, all the sorrow, even the thought of death is overcome in his life by looking and living for the Word of God. And he uses the Word of God. He uses it like a sword to fight back that soul-crushing sorrow his enemies have caused him. Beloved, the Word of God and the Word of God alone is the answer to life's sorrows and the world's slander. Is the answer. Now, another point needs to be made here. And, and, and it's vital if you're going to understand the benefit and receive the benefit from the word. 
If the psalmist is going to live, if he's going to know the relief that comes in the midst of these trials he's facing through, if he's going to know the relief from the Word of God, if he's going to replace sorrow with joy, we're not saying he's not saying, and, and therefore I'm not saying, just quote a verse, you know, tape a verse to your mirror and just read it every day and just keep telling yourself, I will have joy, I will have joy. That's not what he's saying here. You can't just say a verse and hope to be helped. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way, but that's not the only thing. You can't just listen to a sermon on Sunday and then now everything's going to go well. He needs more. He, he, he can't do this himself. He, he, must, he must have God do something for him. And, and, and the psalmist understands that. Look at verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That word open has to do with removing a veil. It's not that the Word of God is, is covered and un, not understandable or clear. The Word's clear. Our eyes are covered. We, we don't see things. He wants us to remove that veil from our eyes so we can see the wondrous things that are in the Bible. Open our eyes, Lord. Open them. When they are filled with tears of sorrow, when, 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 when they're, they're squinting with anger and frustration, Lord, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word. That's the first thing he prays. Then he says, teach me your statutes, verse 26. If we want to grow in grace, we need to study the Bible. We also need to ask God through his Holy Spirit to teach us. Teach me your word. And then in, in verse 27, he prays, make me understand the way of your precepts. That goes beyond just teach me your word. Now he wants a deep understanding. It, it, it's, it, it's not enough to get up in the morning, read two verses, and do the daily bread. If you want this joy, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but you need more than that. You need to dig deeper, deep understanding. It goes beyond that superficial understanding of the words to this profound understanding of what they reveal to us about his nature, about who he is. It's experiential understanding of who God is in his ways. Make me understand your word. Then he prays, verse 28, strengthen me according to your word. See, reading the word of God will give us strength as God, by his word, strengthens us. It's God that must do it. And, and, and so strengthen me according to your word. Verse 29, he prays, put false ways far from me. Keep me from sin. Remember what Bunyan said? Sin will keep me from this book or this book will keep me from sin. Lord, keep me from sin according to your word. And in verse 32, it's not really a request, but notice what he says. I will run in the way of your commands when you enlarge my heart. God has to enlarge his heart. He can't enlarge it on his own. God has to do it. And so he prays, oh, Lord, open my eyes to your word. Teach me your word. Give me deep understanding of your word. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from sin according to your word because I need to know your word. And when you do, when you do that, Lord, you do it, not me. I'll do my part, but you do that. My heart will be enlarged and I will run in the way of your word. It's God working in our hearts through his word, by his spirit, that we overcome trials and troubles. There's things we must do. You must choose the right path, verse 30. You must set God's word before yourself, verse 30. You must cling to his word, as I said earlier. Interesting, isn't it? What was he clinging to earlier? The dust and the humiliation 
It was someone who was clinging to the dust. Here he is found clinging to God's word. Now he's bound to God's word. We need to cling to God's word. We must run in the way of his word, verse 32. We must do all those things. But it's God who must work in us if we're going to see any lasting effect. That's what Paul teaches. You know the verse, Philippians. Uh, uh, work, out our, work out your salvation, Paul says, with fear and trembling. It is God, though, who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out what God works in. And that's the idea. The, the psalmist understood this. And so he works and he prays. And notice what happens to him. Verse 32, I will what? I will run. I will run. He's running. Earlier, he's in a pit. Earlier, he's clinging to the dust. But now he has prayed. He has clinged to the word. He has chosen the right path. And now he is running freely in God's way. And all of this is the case because God has responded to his prayer. And so if the question is asked, how do I deal with my trials? How do I deal with my troubles? The psalmist says, by committing yourself by faith to God and his word, all the while seeking his help to open your eyes and teach you and give you a deep understanding of his word so that you can have the strength to run by faith the race that's set before you. It's not a bad summary of the Christian life. Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. And so the path is laid out before us. It's found in his word. And we must run this race by faith. Faith in God, faith in Christ, Faith in his word. Well, let me close. And I want to go back to that last statement I just made. Faith in God, faith in Christ, and faith in his word. I said, in the midst of your trials, you have faith in God, faith in Christ, and faith in his word. And I think this is illustrated for us in Matthew chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In either case, it's, it's the story of Jesus calming the storm. And we read there, picking up verse 23, they go out in the boat, and the disciples followed him out in the boat, and they were out there for a while, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. These are fishermen, and they're scared, so this is a pretty serious storm, and, and so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, and then they say, but he was asleep. So Jesus is sleeping on the boat, and they went, and they woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And Jesus looks at them in the midst of the storm, by the way. Why are you afraid as the waves are crashing over? Are you a little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. Now, my question is, why did they show little faith? What did they fail to do? Most people may say because they were facing this trial with the storm, and they didn't stop the storm. They didn't have enough faith to stop the storm themselves. Is that why Jesus is rebuking them? Why didn't you just stop the storm? Why'd you wake me up? No, that's not the answer. See, they showed little faith because in the midst of this storm, we could talk about the sorrows or we could talk about the yoke that you're bearing, all those things. In the midst of the storm, they didn't trust Jesus. 
See, Jesus is saying, even in the boat, in the storm, while it's raging, you can trust me. I'm here with you. I'm in the boat with you, as it were. His word can remove the storm in an instant. That is true. But the point is this. When you're in the midst of a trial, when you're facing trouble, when life itself seems to come crashing down upon you, you put your faith in Christ and his word, and he promises, I will be in that storm with you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that promise. Easier to preach on than to live out and believe, so we ask for strength by your spirit to find marvelous things in your word. In Christ's name, amen.